Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you today. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this morning? Doing well, thank right. you. Ready and raring to go. Monday news day. <laughs> yeah. Was there a lot, of, a lot of news over the weekend? I wasn't glued to the television, uh -oh. and there wasn't much on the Internet. So. <laughs> oh, there was stuff on the Internet. It was yeah. just not really interesting yeah. to me that, this weekend. But we did find a few things that yeah. we think are significant, and we're going to start off with a with a uh, foreign policy uh, congressional activity that we think uh, is, doesn't make a whole lot of sense and could be something very dangerous because Congress wants in on the action. You know, P Pelosi's wanting to get in on the action too. I don't know what her motivations are, but uh, maybe she's going to run when when, uh, when Biden leaves and they don't want Kamala. Maybe Nancy Pelosi wants to be president. Oh, yeah. Of course, the way she's turned her weight around, she's she's been pretty uh, instrumental in in controlling the, the 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 scenario, the bad scenario. Anyway, the uh, thing that went on this weekend or so is uh, a congressional delegation in Kiev wants U.S. military advisors uh, sent to Ukraine, according to you know anti-war article, and. Um, we made it stop and think for a minute. Is this a good idea? Yeah. Well, yes. And then I got to thinking, well, when would a libertarian president send people or go himself around the world? Because if you didn't have an empire, there wouldn't be much move, much reason to do that. But, you know, winding down of the empire, I guess a libertarian president would do what they want to do. Yes, traveling would be okay if it would be legitimate. And it could be argued that you go uh, for peace. If you're going always to move the move toward a peaceful solution to the problems of the world, which is different. We've known about advisors for a long time, and we've known about our involvements overseas for a long time. And uh, this, this seems to be um, a, a dangerous thing that's, that's going on. But we should be reassured, because it's bipartisan, it's not... You know, it's not like that uh, that investigation on Trump. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, how, how, how can they do it with, oh, this is bipartisan. Yeah. I'm talking, not talking about, this is, this is bipartisan because unfortunately for our side of the argument, there is a tr true strong bipartisanship and support for interventionism. But I would say that maybe we put a crack or two in it and make people think more often. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I felt like I might have had, you know, this much influence on it was getting people to change the word to non-intervention non -intervention rather than isolationism. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, there were libertarians that liked that word, and I didn't like that. Yeah. I thought... Romano liked it. Huh? <laughs> Justin Romano liked oh, isolation. <laughs> I think because he liked to just, you know, irritate people. <laughs> yeah, but, but anyway, we, uh, we now, now have them over there, and... and uh, my prediction is uh, it's probably not going to stop there. You know, uh, there's, there's, there'll be people talking about peace and all that. But yeah, you have to have advisors to have peace. And, and, uh, and there was, uh, you, you know, the chance that we're deeply involved in it already. How do you get out? And it's more complicated than just we, the United States, sticking our nose in the business of somebody else and we shouldn't have done it. 
I mean, this is big stuff. This is NATO, which is on a roll. They're getting new members. And, uh, and I don't think that's a sign of wisdom and strength because uh, they, their policy is failed here. Yeah. And it's going to fail. It's, it's sort of saying, well, the Fed has all this control, all this control. Yes, but they have a failed policy. Yeah. So don't sweat it. They're, they're going to crash it. And unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of innocent people, whether it's in foreign policy or whether it's in monetary policy, the people who suffer uh, most of the time aren't, aren't deserving. They're, they probably have just uh, not known much about it and couldn't, can't do much when the big guys are controlling. You know, when, when they can get control of the t delegations in Washington in, in, in almost every state and uh, pr promote, promote this and they get support from Republicans and Democrats and the media, and even the conservative yeah, media, sure. they're out there pumping this up too. So uh, I saw one disappointment. Somebody, uh, well, she's a constitutionalist, you know. This yeah. But when it comes to foreign policy, they don't. They they skip that part. They, they I don't know what part they use to say we we have an all authority authority to do that. We have uh, the, the executive branch has authority, you know, to uh, repel invasions and and defend the country. But that's not what's going on here. This is the promotion and defense of globalism with NATO, United Nations, IMF, and uh, right now. Uh, the instrument they're using is, uh, uh, you, you know, NATO promoting it. So uh, it's important because our concern, at least my concern, is that it will expand. It's not going to be uh, sending over 10 advisors or 15 advisors or 100. And if they send 500, you know what that means. Yeah. Next week, it's going to be 1,000. Well, you know, you've always been skeptical of these so-called congressional delegations because I think you rightly understood very early on that it's a dog and pony show. They take you over there, they show you what you want to see, they don't let you see what they don't want you to see, and then they want you to go home and say, I was on the ground in Afghanistan and we're on the verge of victory, we just need another <laughs> surge. And that's what they do, and they count on pretty ill-informed members of Congress, which aren't hard to find, as you know. And so they grabbed a group of them over there, bipartisan group. They sent them for a dog and pony show to Kiev and said, well, here's what we need, you know, Zelensky. Here's what we need. And everything he always says is to ratchet things up. We need more longer range missiles. We need more things. So now what he's saying, we need U.S. military advisors. And we have Representative Michael Waltz from Florida. And if you're in his district, you should let him know what you think about him dragging us toward World War III. He thinks it's a great idea. He says it could be civilian, but it could be military as well, sending in advisors. But then he qualifies it, Dr. Paul, because he's not a warmonger. I don't think anybody is advocating for American military on the front lines. But helping with logistics, planning the operations, and integrating the intelligence is incredibly important right now. So the Russians, who clearly are winning, there's no question about this, they're going to sit by and watch America send military personnel into harm's way guiding Ukrainian missiles, and they're not going to view that as an escalation. They're not going to feel like they need to respond. Uh, to respond. So they basically, uh, and Adam Smith, who's been in a long time, and actually used to do some peace things with uh, Smith, I think, occasionally, he's all on board as well, Democrat from Washington. They're all on board. The only people not on board, Dr. Paul, are the American people. And we've talked about it last week, how America is souring on Biden's policy in Ukraine is coming apart. They're tired of sending 60 billion. And then, you know, someone made a joke. 
Zelensky's like your college student's son. He only calls when he wants money, right? <laughs> and so he's calling up. But let's look at a couple of uh, headlines from this. And, and uh, as you point out, we did get this via our good friends at antiwar.com. But here's from Fox News. Lawmakers want U.S. military advisors sent to Ukraine. Let's put up that next one. I think there's a quote on the next one. All right, so here's some of the things with Waltz. Uh, and uh, it would be good logistics uh, to, to have them there. Uh, they won't be on the front line. Don't worry about it. Uh, and let's do that next one because I want to move into what this really means. And this is the first thing that I thought. Of course, he says no one's advocating for them to go on the front line. Okay. But let's step back a little bit in history, Dr. Paul, to a time where I know is de- near and dear to your heart. If we can do that next one. This is from the JFK History Project. I believe that's the name of the website. I looked it up just quickly before we went. But here's a little bit of history about sending military advisors. So uh, Eisenhower sent some 700 military personnel to South Vietnam before JFK got into office. In May of 61, JFK authorized sending an additional 500 special forces and military advisors to assist the pro-Western government. By the end of 62, there were approximately 11,000 military advisors in Vietnam. Hence, as you say, it'll double within a week. Uh, the president would soon send an additional military advisors to support South Vietnam. By the end of 63, the number had risen to 16,000. Now, let's take a look at this next slide, Dr. <laughs> Paul, because I know you're going to want to comment on this. This is from James Galbraith, the son of John Kenneth Galbraith, famous historian. And this is a great article from a few years ago. Exit strategy. In 63, JFK ordered a complete withdrawal from Vietnam. So he helped with the escalation. Then he saw what was coming. He tried to get us out. I wonder what happened next. Boy. And, you know, and some people still argue the case that uh, JFK's foreign policy and his change in his foreign policy had nothing to do with his assassination. <laughs> After having read as much as I can possibly read and find so many similar arguments, always going back uh, to our government being very much in in that uh, operation of getting rid of uh, Kennedy. And uh, I consider that, uh, you know, November 22nd, 1963, as a result of this kind of stuff, to silence him uh, as, as a bigger day it was a big day then it's still a big day in our history but i think it's a big big day because i think this was a coup coup a clear cut coup these people who throw that word around carelessly right now and insurrection all that if you want to see it you got to have guns and you got to kill the head of the leader and you got to go out and do something and take over the government and if what is true that has been researched by not by one probably by 20 and they come up with similar stories about how this happened it was a coup and uh, this this to me is something that we should realize and I also it, it exposes you know the deep state and the military industrial complex how powerful they are and the uh, monetary authorities that you know see to that these these kind of things are financed it's it's all in in a group <clears throat> And uh, it, it, it uh, catches my attention because uh, I was a draftee uh, in, uh, for, <coughs> for the Air Force uh, in, in 1963. And uh, matter of fact, that day of November 22nd was always uh, etched in my mind because the day before 
he was assassinated. He was on Kelly Air Force Base where I was, and uh, nothing special happened there, but it was something like, who would have ever believed, <laughs> you know, that, that, that uh, as I was there in say, the day before on the 21st, that within 24 hours the whole world would change and probably the slickest coup and one of the most significant coups that was ever pulled off. Change the course of history and embolden the bad guys to keep doing it, you know. Well, the, the next piece we want to talk about is really fascinating because uh, Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, he gave a sizzling speech in a little place called uh, Tushnadfurdu in uh, Romania, uh, in Transylvania. And he basically had an emperor has no clothes moment because he basically said the opposite of what these dummy lawmakers in the U.S. are saying. He's saying what is obvious to most people with a brain, the strategy is not working, that we need a new strategy. And you're not allowed to say that, but he did say it, and it was a great, fascinating speech. If we can put up this first clip, uh, Hungary's Orban calls for Russia-U.S. peace talks for Ukraine. And that's interesting because he's not talking about uh, bringing in Ukraine, and he, he recognizes that this is a proxy war between Russia and Ukraine. He says it's not working, and we need to deal with some of the issues. And, and this is a long quote, and I won't read it all. If we can go to the next one. Just a couple of points that he made, and you can find this full article. This is by, written by one of my favorite geopolitical analysts, a retired Indian uh, ambassador, uh, Badrakumar, M.K. Badrakumar, and it's on ronpaulinstitute.org today. But what Badrakumar points out is uh, what Orban said is there were four pillars of Western strategy uh, regarding the war, uh, the, the war with Ukraine and Russia. And he says all four have failed. The first was that Ukraine would win the war against Russia with NATO weapons. Didn't happen. Not going to happen. Second, that sanctions would weaken Russia and destabilize its leadership. Well, the opposite happened, as we know. That sanctions would hurt Russia more than Europe was the third. No, the opposite. And fourth, that the world would line up in support of Europe. And that hasn't happened. So what he says is that rather than this four-part strategy winning, these, the governments in Europe are falling like dominoes, he said. And he makes a great point, and it's, a, it's a sort of a great uh, uh, visual of what's happening. He said, we are sitting in a car with four flat tires, <laughs> right? Oh so it's time to start thinking differently about this. He said, Ukraine will never win the war because Russia has an asymmetrical dominance. And so, and here's the last thing I'll say about this, Dr. Paul. He said, only Russia-U.S. talks can put an end to the conflict because Russia wants security guarantees. And with all the hysteria around it, what is so wrong with Russia in the U.S. revisiting these talks in December, the proposals by Russia last December saying, we need to talk about Ukraine not being in NATO. We need to talk about Ukraine being neutral. There's nothing wrong with neutrality because we don't want to feel threatened. You know, there's, there's no reason not to go. So basically, I think Orban has stepped up here with the speech. I don't want to praise him too much, but he stepped up as a statesman saying, look, he said, I don't want to, I don't want to side with Ukraine. And he said very openly, but we need to have a new strategy to stop this thing from escalating. You know, this is described as uh, the Hungarian leader says U.S. sanctions on Russia have failed, and you pointed out the conventional wisdom of how, how they failed and they backfired. Uh, I, I, I think uh, the Russians are doing quite well. 
uh, they're making more money and they're selling as much oil as ever before. <laughs> and uh, the combination of uh, Russia and China is something that the West has always feared, uh, you know, for military reasons as well as financial reasons of challenging the dollar. But I'm just wondering, now this, this is just a theory, and I don't want anybody to think this is a true story, but what if, what if there's a really, really shrewd spy, Russian spy in our government, yeah. and said, this is what, this is what we have to do, uh, you, you know, because it's, it's going to be so beneficial, how are we going to keep our empire together, and they talk them into it, but all along, the Russians knew what they were doing. <laughs> now I want to make sure everybody knows uh, this is this is just a uh, flawed theory. <laughs> the sad part is, I mean, you would have to have be the greatest spy in history. They don't even need to have a spy because they're doing it themselves. <laughs> Orban made another good point. He said we shot ourselves in the lungs and now we're gasping for air. You know, what's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a great visual on what they did, and you know, makes you just, you know, no wonder they hate him so much for saying what's obvious. But um, hopefully, uh, these ideas prevail. And we do start rethinking this because it ain't working very well. So do we want to move on from, from Hungary back to North Carolina? or? Yeah, I used, I used to live there, you know. Did you? I didn't know that. It's a pretty There's state. a medical school there called Duke. Oh, that's right. I, for, I, always, I, always, I always forget it's in North Carolina. Yeah. Stupid Duke, of me. Duke School. Yeah, that's and right. I tell you what, I was never displeased. Uh, I had questions about the medical school. Uh, when it even touched on anything political they were wrong but this university isn't too good on on politics <laughs> well they've got a good reputation for science right <laughs> <laughs> so okay Let's put this is a good yeah. this is a good one no. yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody somebody stood up for justice and common sense and this comes from zero hedge they're good reporters they give yes. us lots of ideas yeah. entire north carolina police department resigns in protest over progressive town manager now this is not uh, this they didn't resign because they denied funds you yeah. know they weren't doing this all they did was hire a certain town manager and they didn't inspect once again did they, they did they check this person out that became the town manager and found out this and they said oh that's the one we want yeah. or they didn't check check the individual out and decided that would be the town manager but anyway um, she it was she she was big progressive yeah. all the nonsense you could think about it has to take a lot some of these guys that they interviewed was uh, you know professionals they've been there a long time they probably lived there most of their lives they thought they would that would be their last place that they would work and it must have been really really bad and they got together on design it'll be interesting to see what happens but uh, I don't uh, I, I would think that maybe somebody's gonna wake up and uh, fire everybody yeah. you know that was involved in maybe at their next election they'll t they'll take care of that it's a small town but anyway anyway uh it's a it's another good sign that there is a point when people will finally stand up and said we've had enough and we're not going to take it so uh and and then this is on top of what they have to put up just in general all uh, law enforcement officers uh, you know they get hit pretty hard sometimes uh, they get off track and deserve some criticism but sometimes it's just used as a political football to promote uh, cultural Marxism you know ban the police and and turn the streets into cesspools and yeah. you know, that kind of stuff which is all part of the strategy of the Marxists. well we're seeing what happens to all the woke cities around the country and it's not going well 
But this is uh, uh, Kenley, North Carolina, and they hired Justine Jones to take over as city manager. And you know, my first thought was, well, if she's a local gal and she was elected, this is, you know, you can kind of hardly necessarily side, side with the police on this. But no, she's not that at all. And let's go ahead and look at that next clip. This is from the Hedge article about it. So she is a wrecker that goes around the country wrecking things. Uh, she said she had started on June 2nd after a, quote, nationwide search, according to a statement which said that, quote, Jones has dedicated her career to public service over the last 16 years, during which she worked in progressively responsible positions with local governments in Minnesota, Virginia, South Carolina, and North Carolina. So she's not a local gal who got elected. She's basically a gun for hire. My guess is paid by people like Soros to go around and upset these small towns and turn them into bastions of wokeness. And maybe we're projecting a little bit too much. But I think the good news story here is that the police force said, hey, if you're going to hire someone over top of us who wants to defund or get rid of the police or do whatever, make us, you know, celebrate a pride parade or whatever, we're just going to walk away. We don't need it. We're out of here. You know, and, uh, they indicate that she's never uh, volunteered to come before the press and answer a few questions. So that's that's probably a good sign that uh, she has no answers and she's not going to expose herself. But there's still the question of how long does a person like this last? When are they going to fire her? When is she going to quit? Yeah. I don't think she'll quit. People people like this have no, no sense of guilt uh, and they have no shame, and no matter what the results are. And I think of all the tragedies in domestic affairs and international affairs, and people die from these things. But uh, but the the true uh, interventionist believes they have defined what is right and proper and moral. So there's why should I feel badly? It didn't work out, but I did what was morally right. They consider themselves on the right track, and they they are the. Uh, designator of, of what uh, what the law should be and, and the rules and they have they have their plans and the one thing that is, gets mixed in there now is uh, how strong the cultural marxists have been yeah. i mean they're they're everywhere yeah, every small <laughs> town yeah they're involved in so much stuff how how could how can they get be able to use this little town like this and make sure a person like that gets in there and i don't know whether it was this article but there was one article similar to this uh the person had been elected by soros money yeah, no question <laughs> well they're not going to fire because everyone that's fired her so far she's sued for racial discrimination right so <laughs> yeah. she's got an out yeah. but um well we're, we're going to close down a little bit and i just want to take a monday morning to remind everyone of a few of our important things to keep track of and the next one if you can put it up Reminder, August 2nd, we move to Rumble for our live program. We will still be on YouTube in the afternoon if you prefer to watch there. But we're excited about going on Rumble Live. Same time, not same place. So put this in your, uh, put this in your notebook. Uh, subscribe to our channel on Rumble and uh, join us there. There's going to be a chat, and we're really excited. Next thing, last week, put up the next clip if you don't mind. This is your last week to apply for the Ron, 20, 2022 Ron Paul Scholar Seminar. Here is last year's seminar being addressed by Representative Thomas Massey. We've got a great group of instructors. It's a one-day boot camp for non-interventionism in foreign policy and civil liberties. Go to ronpaulinstitute.org, and there is a big link 
on the upper right that you can click and apply. Last few days, don't, don't let it go by you. You're going to want to do it. Scholarships available to help you get there and pay your way. Last clip, reminder, last few days also for the early bird rate for our September conference. It's going to be a great event. We've got great speakers. Jeff Deist is going to be there from the Mises Institute. And I'm going to actually reveal right here, Dr. Paul, and we're going to have him on the show to talk about it. But here is another speaker revealed. You can take that down now. But our good friend, Dr. Paul, and you know him very well, Colonel Douglas McGregor will be joining us. You've seen him on Fox. You've seen him everywhere. Probably, the, I think, one of the most brilliant geopolitical and military strategists that, that's out there. He's spoken before. He will return to the Ron Paul Institute for our September 3rd conference. You won't want to miss him live, only at the RPI conference. You're going to love, you're going to, love to hear what he has to say, his insights. He doesn't care what the mainstream thinks. He doesn't care if they think he is off track because he's always been on track. So go to ronpaulinstitute.org, get those tickets while you still can. Colonel Douglas McGregor at RPI in September. Dr. Paul? Very, very good. You know, uh, we were today talking about two areas far apart, Kendley, North Carolina, a little town that has a problem dealing with, uh, you know, the police, but also dealing with a problem of uh, political th- uh, philosophy and uh, how how a country should be run and what rights are all about. And yet we were talking about Ukraine too and how significant that was. But to me, these are the same issue in many ways and how you can generalize and bring them together is that they both involve the illicit use of interventionism. If you have a free society, like the founders worked desperately to give us, that individuals decide what is right and wrong for themselves as long as they don't hurt people. But there wasn't to be a government to micromanage us here at home, or certainly not micromanage a, 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 a whole empire around the world. And this, this uh, to me, is not complicated. So what do you do? You, you, they, they use the uh, interventionism, they justify it, they, dis- they either dismiss or are totally confused. They will not look at the restraints that the founders put into the Constitution. Matter of fact, that's what the Constitution's really all about and was intended, was to limit you know, the government. It wasn't to say, do whatever you want and this is permissible. So that, that is a big problem that we've had it's so many things that we do and <clears throat> when when the people are doing these things what well, what fills the gap uh, when they believe in interventionism is authoritarianism and there's always some that'll jump in whether it's at the county level or in little towns like Kenley and and yet behind the scenes how did they get these ideas to believe in this stuff and there's money behind it the deep state has the money they're due and they will lecture and propagandize so people who seem oh this is just a little old town and what do we worry about what their what their problems are but but the the woman got in this job here and is causing this chaos. She she's a pro, she's a progressive. She believes in all this stuff. She has no guilt. She she doesn't feel badly if it goes wrong. Because matter of fact, the worst thing about all this would be when it causes chaos in our streets, uh, and and that hasn't gone away. They they say the chaos in the street. Ha! Huh, we like that. Because, uh, because it's the chaos in the streets that will bring down, you know, what we think is 
good about Western civilization, the Marxists don't like it because it's a tougher challenge if there is a civilization doing the job much better. And yet that is exactly what their goal is. So chaos is what their goal is. And so they turn around and they don't lose any sleep because they don't even have a concept of what is right and wrong. They don't have the principles of the higher law. They have something where you, do, you can't know those things. So what we do is the law of the land. But there's still a lot of people, and I believe our numbers are much greater than theirs, except they have been shrewder and more aggressive and gotten themselves into places where they can accomplish a lot more with smaller numbers. And there's no reason in the world why the people who believe in liberty and the promotion of a just cause and on the principles of limited government, uh, government power, what, why we can't win this because it's so superior to what we have been given and the consequences of it so evident. But it just means that we have to work as hard as those who have put their people in a position around the country. But every, we report on the stories where people are waking up, whether it's school boards or whatever, or on foreign policy, people finally wake up, you know, and say enough is enough. It was tragic. We mentioned Vietnam earlier for other reasons, but finally people woke up over Vietnam. And it was the people who went to their congressman and said, quit it, quit it, quit it. It is not the people, uh, it, it's not the people who are in leadership, it's more likely. Those people in leadership of this country and the deep state very likely, and I believe, had something to do with the tragedy of November 22nd, 1963. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.